Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We've got a really cool show lined up for you that will give you a lot of insight in how you're designing things for your customers, both in terms of digital experiences, physical experiences, and anything in between. So we've got an expert on the show that we're going to talk to in just a minute. And I don't know if my co-host is an expert. He's not an expert. But what I do know, I see him coming over the hill right now riding into the studio on his noble white steed. He's known as the bearded wonder from the United Kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, the one, the only, Mr. Dean Holland. (laughs) I can tell since I've not been over in the USA, you've missed me because there was an extra sensed, heightened pitch that actually sound like, and either that or you've just perfected your bullshit, but it sounded like you're actually interested in speaking to me today, James. <laughs> you know, I still have this sign on my garage door that says, don't give me your bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's amazing. But I'm doing great. How are you doing, my good friend? I'm awesome. It's, uh, it is great to hear your voice. And I'm excited. I'm excited about this show. We've got a really cool guest. You think, yeah. you think we should bring him in the show? Oh, why not? Let's do it. All right. Welcome to the show, Ross Johnson. How are you today, man? I'm doing great, James. Thanks for having me. And great to meet you both, James and Dean. Yeah, you too. Don't be, uh, hope you're not too nervous. Oh, no, no. I mean, with a different podcast, I might be, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Not on this one. He's like, this isn't even a serious podcast. I don't even know why I'm here. (laughs) No, I'm I'm a little nervous, a little nervous, but not too bad. (laughs) He's like, I'm I'm immediately questioning my decision to join you guys on the show. (laughs) (laughs) As you well should. So Ross, obviously you didn't ride into the studio on a horse today, but next time, just know that that's an option for you if you're so inclined. Well, I'm, I'm in luck. My wife actually has a horse, so I'm ready. Just let me know. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Do you want to like redo the intro? Do you want to hop on the horse? Like, I mean, it's totally up to you. <laughs> or we could keep going. Yeah, you know, I'll wait till next time. I've tried riding a few times myself and it didn't go so well. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Dude, I'm excited to talk to you about your experience and everything in all things design. And I understand that design is one of these things that's probably very misunderstood and in some cases left as an afterthought. But companies that really get design right build like a tremendous loyal following with their customer base, you know, with Apple and other companies that really focus on either product design or experience design or digital design. And so this is your background. So where did all this fascination with design actually start for you? I think like a lot of people, my parents were hugely influential in kind of what I was interested in and how I ended up here. And I think I kind of have a unique background in that my dad was an architect. And so, which essentially is a designer, you know, designing spaces and buildings and really complex design. 
But the way he approached architecture was something he kind of approached in daily life. So he always had kind of these ingenious ideas and these things he was building. At one point, he built a dock because they have like a lake house. He kind of figured out that, you know, everybody was sitting at the end of the dock to relax there. But sitting on a dock isn't all that comfortable compared to a chair and dragging a chair out there is kind of pain. So he actually bought a wooden chair, took it apart and built it into the dock. So when it was fully reclined, it was flat, but you could kind of pull up this the back of the chair and sit and have some backrest. And so the dock was almost like a transformer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How he came up with this, I have no idea. But like, that's the sort of thing I saw him doing all the time was kind of seeing these like little problems in daily life that, you know, most of us would just kind of accept and maybe complain about myself included. And he would try and find some kind of clever way to address that. So I kind of saw this like design thinking and, and what that meant growing up. And then on the other hand, my mom was a social worker. So she had this massive amount of empathy where she was always kind of relating to people's problems and trying to help them through it. And I think kind of those two things influenced my desire for design because, you know, here on one hand, I can identify a problem and come up with a clever solution, but I could also kind of identify and empathize with the struggles people are having in different situations and kind of blend those together, which really is in essence design, coming up with a solution for a problem for people. I didn't even realize it until I was most of the way through college and you know, have been doing this web design thing for a while that I realized, yeah, the design is what I love to do. Maybe this isn't the right time to bring this up, but at some point, maybe I can talk to your mom. She might sound be a listening ear for me and dealing with my problems of having Dean as a co-host. <laughs> sounds like an empathetic woman. Yeah, she is very good at listening. I'm sure she would have. Well, if she doesn't have any advice, she's, she certainly would listen to you. Yeah. And then your dad's Optimus Prime. So there's that. And that's pretty cool. Right, right. He could probably take Dean out if you wanted to get to the point. Yes, I do. I do. Can you just put in that request right now? I don't need to think about it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll send him a text after the show. Perfect. That's amazing. So when you got into web design, everything like that, was it more because you, you were just like, hey, this, you know, the next wave of what needs to be designed? Or were you passionate about kind of selling things online? Or was it a little bit of both? Uh, you know, it's mostly just like an interest in technology and just kind of being creative in general. Like I liked to make new things. And this was kind of in the mid to early 90s. And, you know, most of the websites I was creating were around video games. I think a lot of people of this age were doing similar sort of things. And so that kind of became my medium because it did blend technology and design. And it was something to learn that was new. But I didn't really realize that there might be a career into it until like well into college. And, you know, I was ready to graduate. Right. Well, not everybody that age was doing things like that. Dean was selling birds and running a food truck business. So that was a little bit different than your experience. Selling birds? Is that what you said? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Oh, interesting. You sound surprised. I like the idea of just leaving that there and just never discussing it anymore. <laughs> yeah, Dean was selling birds. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to design. I'm just going to throw a real question at you here straight away, Ross. And I'm just going to say... Yeah, I'm shocking myself. I'm going to ask a serious question. Does design matter and why? Yes. Well, uh, I think the obvious answer is, is yes, it does matter. I think there's a saying that really sums it up nicely and that it goes something along the lines of everything is by design, even if it's not by design. I think it's something like that. I don't feel like that's like one of those common known saying. Maybe you just made that up, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Ross, you know that saying, that famous saying that goes, how does that go again? Design is design, and unless it's not design? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, basically the idea being that everything you do, even if you're not doing it intentionally by design, ends up, there's design to it. So essentially, design's everything. All the decisions you make in your life in some level is a design decision. So you decide when you wake up, you decide what you do in the morning, you decide where you work. And this is kind of designing your life. And then the same is true if you're in a business or in a job, you're designing what your role is, you're designing how you interact with people, you're designing what you're offering. So I suppose in the same way, like what you're kind of getting at there is the same way that like not having a plan is still planning. You've decided not to have a plan. You plan not to have a plan. You know, so you're saying the same thing there. Maybe we could take one, zoom out just a little bit further. What do you consider the definition of design? To me, design is intentionally taking steps towards producing a desired outcome. Ooh, I like it. So there's something you're trying to accomplish, and you might be very intentional about this, or this might be just kind of happening naturally, kind of when you decide to wake up. There's some sort of desired outcome you're moving towards when you say, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 10 a.m., depending on who you are, because you'll have enough time to get ready to work or you'll maybe have a morning routine. And there's these kind of micro design decisions that you make in your life. And then the same happens for your business. And the same happens, you know, when you design a website or you design a brochure or you design a product. So it's really kind of about identifying what am I trying to accomplish? And then what are those steps that I have to take in order to accomplish that? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying resonates because it's like you have a design. The design is happening, but sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not. Right. Yeah. Whether you're intentional about it or not. Yeah. Or, and have really thought it through, you are designing. And it's funny that initial step of like, what are we trying to accomplish? Is you think that that's kind of like a duh. If you're going to do something, you should think about what am I trying to get out of it? But, you know, in my experience working with a lot of different types of people, it's funny how often that's overlooked. We'll be talking to people and say, well, what's the purpose of your website? And they'll say something like, well, you know, we want to showcase our employees and want to talk about our services. And that's not really discussing what you want to get out of it. That's more of like what you want on it, which is related but different. What you want out of it is more business or better brand recognition, or maybe you want to charge higher prices. There's an actual tangible outcome. And if you don't define that, then you kind of make all these decisions like without thinking about it. And it's never truly as effective as it could be. I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because I think this is a perception that most people have. They think design is an art. And yet you've got a whole methodology, which you call six layers of design, where you actually break down, you say, you know what, design is more scientific than you think. Can you talk about that a little bit, the difference between the art and the science of design? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I love this line of questioning because I talk to people all the time who say something like, I'm just not creative enough to be a designer or like, I don't have a visual side to my brain. And like somehow we've kind of got into this place where we kind of associate design with like what something looks like and how it feels and form factor when that's just like one piece. When really... Like you said, design is much more scientific. It kind of mirrors like the scientific process really closely. You have your hypothesis. I think if we create this thing in this way, it's going to create this outcome. There are principles which you can follow to create something in an optimal way to achieve that desired outcome. And then you can test and see, is it actually working the way we expected it to? And this is very obvious online with websites where you can track like, are we getting the amount of leads that we expected? Are we selling the amount of we're generating the amount of sales that we're expecting and that sort of thing. So years ago, it was like 2010, I started writing a book about kind of the scientific process of design called The Six Layers of Design, 
which is adapted from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is kind of like five layers that the humans need. And it broke design down into these six different layers that you need to think about when you're designing something, starting from the most basic and mundane of like, what is the function of the thing that I'm creating or the thing that I'm designing? What is that desired outcome? Then thinking about reliability. How do I make sure that whatever I'm doing produces the outcome I want in a reliable manner? If you had a website that crashed all the time or was slow or didn't work on your phone, you're going to have a problem. Or if you have a chair that every time you sat down on it, you fell out of it going to have a problem uh, and then so you're saying you're saying that would be a faulty design uh, yeah i mean unless that was the intention <laughs> right which if you were sending dean a chair you might say hey here's a great chair knowing that he'd fall out of it every time that might be positive i, don't I think i just got an idea for your christmas gift this year dean right i was gonna say you've you've learned james quite well in this short period of time <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts before, so I had a little, uh, little cheating. <laughs> it's that obvious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the next layer is usability. So a chair that's like difficult to sit on, again, kind of a problem. And as far as like digital tools, you know, I think a lot of us know what it's like to be using something that's not very usable. It's like very challenging. Like, I want to give you my money, but for some reason, I can't type in my credit card information. Fairly big problem. And then you kind of get into this interesting area, like the top three layers of design, where it's kind of moving away from deficiency needs. Like if you don't have these things, whatever you're designing is going to be fairly deficient. People aren't going to like it into the place where design can really excel. And this goes back to what you're talking about in the beginning, where companies can really differentiate themselves and really get to another level by leveraging design. So those three layers are uh, proficiency, which means is whatever you're designing making people better at what they want to do? And if we're going to use the chair example again, you can sit down on a park bench. It's perfectly usable. You don't have any trouble figuring out how the park bench works. There's no trouble sitting down on it. But how long would you want to sit and like work on a park bench? I've slept on a park bench once. Once? What? <laughs> I thought that was last night. <laughs> I'm on a park bench right now. <laughs> you're on a park bench and your white noble steed is tied to the tree right next to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the sound quality at the park bench is remarkably good. I would have expected a little bit, you know, a little bit of background noise. That's because I focused on the six layers of design. I made sure it was usable. <laughs> you're just such a kiss ass. You're like going to the head of the class already. <laughs> just where I want to be. <laughs> well, he's sleeping on a park bench, so I think the answer to that might be yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dean, if you want a job, let me know. We, we don't pay very well, but it sounds like it'll be a better situation than you're in now. But yeah, so park bench, completely usable, but not someplace you'd want to work for a long period of time. But if you look at like a Herman Miller chair, a lot more expensive, but very ergonomically designed, it actually allows you to focus longer. So that's a place where you, whatever you're designing can make people better at what they're looking to do. I think a site like kayak.com is another good example. You know, people looking for cheap tickets, they made that much easier to look across a whole bunch of different places, and they've done really well as a result. Then is communication. So this is kind of moving into the form factor, or the visual layer, if you're talking about a website, does whatever it is you're designing communicate the right things to the right people? There might be people who really appreciate how a MacBook looks compared to a Lenovo laptop. And that's because they're both kind of designed separately to communicate and really resonate with a different audience. You know, they kind of say something about whoever wants them. And then the top layer is the emotional layer. Basically, the idea is that we all make decisions based on emotion first and then justify them later using logic. So there's 
three different types of emotional responses you have. And the most successful design really targets the right emotions and elicits the right emotional responses so that you're kind of emotionally drawn to it and you're more likely to love it and use it and want it. So give me an example of that, like good and bad. Sure. Yeah. So the three different levels of emotional response are visceral, behavioral, and reflective. Visceral happens first. It's the quickest emotional response. It all happens in your central nervous system. So you kind of have the response before you even realize that it's happened, and then it influences your conscious thought. So it's almost like the pit in my stomach, the nausea that I get when I hear Dean on the podcast. That would be... (laughs) Right, exactly. You're having a negative visceral response to Dean. Right. Is triggering your fight or flight, maybe your disgust emotion and... Yeah, no, that's exactly the right word. <laughs> right, right. And then that influences your conscious thought to say, why did I invite him on the show again? Yep. Yeah, you're like a mind reader. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can use these emotions when you're designing to trigger a desired emotional response. So if you're trying to promote a security product, you might want to use some imagery or some language, even music, to trigger a similar sort of frightening fight or flight emotional response to make people feel uncomfortable and scared and they'd be more likely to purchase as a result. In the US, we have this security company called ADT, right? And I remember some ad campaigns they had on TV a long time ago. And it was always like this guy in like a ski mask and everything like prowling outside of the house and like it was dark and they had that music and stuff and they were going for that visceral response then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they want you to feel uncomfortable thinking about how this could be happening to you. And they intentionally make the commercials dark and scary and gloomy so that your subconscious says, I need to protect myself. And then informs your conscious to say, I should invest in this. And it can happen a lot more subtly too. You know, actually just visiting a website that's like really cluttered and not very clean and open kind of has like on a low level, like a very similar sort of reaction. Because you can imagine like what feels safer being in kind of a dark, crowded, disorganized, like deep in the woods, like a swampy area or kind of being out in a big, nice open field in the sun. You kind of experience the same thing seeing something cluttered where it just kind of makes you feel uncomfortable and a little bit unsafe when the design is kind of messy and cluttered and that sort of thing. Interesting. So, okay, so it was visceral. And then what was the next? What were the next two? Uh, behavioral. So behavioral is a uh, an emotional response you get when you're actually doing something physical. So think about like if you're good at sports, which I am not, but I've heard that this is the case. When you're doing like you're playing a sport, you're playing tennis, and you're just kind of really on. You know, every time you return the ball, you feel like you're just doing a great job, and there's this great sense of satisfaction that comes out of that. So that's kind of a behavioral response. Also, just you know, maybe like the feeling of being productive, of getting things done seamlessly, effort getting in, into the state of flow. Also, behavioral response. A little harder to use when you're trying to like promote or sell something, but when you're designing a product, certainly something you could think about if you're trying to onboard somebody into your software application, trying to create like that sense of achievement as you're kind of getting through the initial steps and making sure that that's obvious can give you a positive sense of behavioral. Uh, emotional reaction. And then reflective is the most conscious. So this happens completely in your conscious mind. It happens the last. It's the slowest. The conscious mind is very slow compared to the visceral central nervous system. And this is creating like a sense of identity, feeling like you're a part of something bigger, feeling like maybe a sense of prestige, like if you're a wine connoisseur, 
you get a positive emotional response because you're kind of a higher status than other people. And also nostalgia. So kind of thinking back to times in your past that may or may not have been amazing, but you kind of feel like they were so much better back then. Like when I first met James. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the, you know, that can also create um, some very strong emotional reactions. So that's a super powerful framework. So probably people listening though are saying, okay, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm running my, my business. I've got either physical products or digital products, or I have services or something like that. How can I take all of this and look at what I'm currently doing and improve it or make it better or take it to the next level? Good question there, James. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So yeah. One of those rare moments where James says something worth listening to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I would do is write down those six layers and look at what you're doing and maybe like prioritize what's the most important things we're doing in my business. What are the activities that are most critical towards success? And then kind of evaluate them on those six layers. So for example, we're a web design agency. We've learned one of the more critical things that we can do to make sure that projects go smoothly is have a really solid onboarding process. So when we start with a new client, you know, meeting with them and discussing what these projects are like and what to expect. We would look at that and say, how can we design this onboarding process so it's most effective as possible? And then we'd look through those, those six layers and say, okay, what are we trying to get out of it? What are the objectives? What do we want to make sure is happening by the time we're done? And then look at reliability. Where's there potential to be a reliability issue? If somebody doesn't attend a meeting who actually is a, an important person in the project, or what if people forget, or what if we forget? So how do we address those reliability issues? And then usability, how do we make sure this is easy for our clients to do? And then you know, proficiency, how do we make sure that it makes them better at going through this process? And kind of so on and so forth. And you can do that to like essentially everything that you're doing. You can do it to the web pages that you have promoting your products. You can do it to your hiring process, which can be overwhelming. But that's why I would say prioritize what's most important. Where do you have the biggest pain points? Yeah, you know, we always have an issue with this, and then apply the six layers to that. Right. Or where is the biggest opportunity to differentiate us between us and our competition or something? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you can also mm -hmm. look at other companies that are doing really well at design and see maybe get some ideas there. I think IKEA is always a good example of how you can use design to really differentiate yourself. You know, they basically designed their products in such a way that they're kind of buy this nicer than you'd expect furniture for the price because how they designed their warehouses, how they designed the furniture itself, so that it can be broken down easily. So there's a lot of the same parts going into different products, you know, different pieces of furniture, and because they've done really well. Interestingly, on the flip side, have either of you purchased or assembled IKEA furniture? I have. How did you feel about the experience? I felt better mostly because I ate their Swedish meatballs, not because the experience was that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Swedish meatballs, they, they've nailed the design there. I've got no complaints there. Anybody who's yeah. assembled an IKEA product has taken it home and experienced like you're halfway through it and you reread the directions again. And you're like, I put it on backwards and now you have to reassemble it because there's this tiny little thing you're supposed to notice in the instructions. So even there's some design issues there that IKEA could be more successful if they could figure out. 
And there's actually like including a bottle of Fireball with every purchase because you're going to want to get hammered while you do it. (laughs) Right, right. That would be a good, easy first step. You don't even have to change anything. Yeah. Is that at the behavioral level? (laughs) Like, where is that take place? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of more on the emotional level. You know, you feel good even before the fireball kicks in, just knowing that maybe that's the whole concept behind the meatballs. <laughs> right. It could be. It could be. Maybe it is. <laughs> there we go. We broke that biggest secret live. Yeah. So maybe that's the solution. The Swedish meatballs. Like anywhere you're having issues, just add Swedish meatballs. <laughs> right. Opt into my page. Have a meatball. That's right. You heard it here first. And Ikea is actually the owner of Fireball. Uh, nobody knew that until today. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. But interesting, there's a, a company based out of Detroit called Floyd, like the person's name, Floyd, F-L-Y-O-D. And they've kind of taken the Ikea idea to the next level where they've got really easy, affordable designer furniture, but you can assemble it all with zero tools. So not even like the tools included in the Ikea, you know, the usually they give you like a, a little wrench, maybe a screw, tiny screwdriver you throw away. So you don't need any tools and you can assemble it in like 15, 20 minutes. And they're doing great because of it, you know, so they've kind of identified that issue. Everybody hates putting together furniture. They hate paying a lot of money for furniture that looks good. And they've designed a solution around that. Yeah, that's amazing. I love this six layers of design. I think this is super cool. Yeah, I think this has put a whole different view and spin on the concept of design. I think probably when we first begin, it's like, oh, design, like logos, graphics, this, that. But this is a whole different approach to looking at, like you say, like everything you do from your websites, your processes, your onboarding, your products, everything. I think that's perfect what you said earlier, Ross, in that Everything has to be designed in some way or another. Everything has a design behind it, how it performs, how it looks, how it responds, everything. I think this is such a great view of looking at things. I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. The more that you do it, you'll find these like tiny little changes you can make. You make these tiny little design decisions in your life or in your business, and they can have like such a big impact on how smoothly things run or how successful you are. And this is kind of probably part of my dad who's, you know, did these sort of things his entire life. I'll give you a super mundane example. I've got two young kids and we've got a multi-level house. And every morning when I was trying to get them up and out the door for bed, I had this awkward split where they were ready to go. I still need to brush my teeth because I'd had coffee and I'd have to go back upstairs to brush my teeth because that's where my bathroom was. And the whole time they'd be like climbing on top of me or like dragging me or crying and really unpleasant. And I realized I could just buy a second toothbrush, which is like a tiny thing, but like my quality of life in the morning, way better. I thought you were going to say, I could just move out and leave these guys here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was like plan B. If the toothbrush didn't work, I'm gone. But luckily it was like a $3 problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So this has been really valuable. I know I'm going to keep that the six layers design those questions next to my desk, because I think that's really important in thinking about like all different aspects of things, right? It's not just, and I think that's the piece that I wanted to convey through this conversation was that design is not necessarily just graphics. There's a lot more to design, right? And I love that framework so much. Do you happen to have that in a download or anything like that anywhere? Or did we just sort of unearth it? (laughs) And I'm putting you on the spot here. Sure. Yeah. We write a lot about it on our blog. And I'll send you a link to kind of a summary post we have that goes through the six layers so you can include in the show notes. 
And I think that would be the best place to look. Uh, like I said, I actually originally had written a book about this. I was contacted by a large publisher in 2010. And then sadly, after I was all the way done, we were in the final stages of editing. They canceled the book, which was like heartbreaking. But we did put all the content for free online on our blog. So it's all there. So I'll send you some links. Okay, good. And so just so people can know where that is, that's 3.7designs.co. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you'll see a link to the blog. Yeah. Awesome. And I wouldn't complain if you wanted to just send me an unofficial copy of the book. Just saying. <laughs> sure. I can do that. <laughs> it's a little outdated. I mean, 2010, but the, the core concepts are, are still correct. <laughs> there we go. And on that note, we're about ready to wrap up. So Ross, thanks so much for being here today, man. I appreciate the wisdom. And most of all, I appreciate you putting up with Dean. I know it's not easy and hopefully you've got a good way to recover with I don't know. I don't know what you do to recover, but hopefully you've got something. Well, fireball. Fireball. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Fireball yep. and Swedish meatballs. Dean, anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I think like I just said there, I think this has given a whole different perspective and something really for people to really think about. You know, as I was listening to you thinking about the emotion side, the design element brings in, you know, I was thinking of numerous instances, the difference between having a cheap or low-cost bottle of champagne or wine compared to the experience and emotion receiving premium bottle of wine or champagne. You know, the different packaging, the, the emotion, the feelings that all that type of stuff brings. I was just thinking of all these numerous things that I've experienced that I've never thought about these aspects. And you've just put some real context behind that. So yeah, a lot of things clicked into place. It's been super valuable, Ross. Thank you for sharing. Oh yeah, you're welcome. And real quick on the subject of Cayenne's liqueurs and, and that sort of thing. And the power of design, there actually was this really famous study where they had people do blind taste tests of two different kinds of brandy. They were considered kind of middle of the road brandy. When they put the brandy in a more expensive looking bottle, people liked it better. So it's amazing what our mind will actually do and shape our experiences just based on the design of the things that we're interacting with. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, and I think if everyone thinks about that and applies it to their business, what a difference it can make. So yeah, appreciate it, Ross. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Ross. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out Ross's blog at 3.7designs.co and apply the uh, six layers of design to everything that you're doing in your business. I think it will really help create a better connection with your customers and just an overall awesome experience. So thank you guys for listening and make sure you recommend us to your friends, to your family, to everyone that you know. <laughs> we appreciate you guys and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, -day, visit me for free training and resources at jamesbfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.